0: It's Tuesday at 8pm and you're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and you're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on the show tonight we meet Katia Valladeau, who has created a fantastic online map that identifies where we can enjoy outdoor dining when restrictions lift. Artisan food producer Brian O'Neill gives us the lowdown in his company, Dublin Hot Sauce, and freelance editor and food writer Kristen Jensen shares details about her Kickstarter campaign, Blasta Books, which will change the way that cookbooks are published. But before we hear from Katia, if you'd like to get in touch with me at the best possible taste, you can contact me by emailing me s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org as in Queen of Organisation. So the Irish Times recently published a list of 100 places to eat outdoors around Ireland when outdoor dining returns on June the 7th. The piece was curated by Katia Vallado who had put a call out for venues with outdoor dining facilities for a piece for her blog, properfood.ie. The response was overwhelming and Katia has produced an interactive map with more than 700 food venues on it. And I spoke to her last week about it, so let's have a listen.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
0: Katia, you're very welcome to the best possible taste. Thanks so much for joining me by Zoom. Properfood.ie is your blog. It's not your full-time job, even though it looks like it could be a full-time job. There's so much work goes into it. But before we get into that, tell us a little bit about yourself, your French.
2: Hi Sharon, well first thanks for having me. Um, yes, I'm French. I'm from Paris originally and I came to Ireland in October 98, uh, the day before my mother's birthday, as you do. Um, she never let me forget that one. <laughs> and I have been, yeah, I've, I've been writing um, about food since 2014, roughly.
0: I would imagine growing up in France, the whole food culture there is just fabulous. So, and you're talking about your mother and arriving over the day before her birthday. So you weren't there at home to make her the birthday cake. Was food a very important part of life growing
2: up? You know, it, it's funny because I would have thought French culture was greater around food. And now that I see what's going on in Ireland today and how close we leave to small producers and how creative there. i'm not that sure that growing up in paris in the 80s and the 90s was actually that glamorous food wise and um, i'm very lucky that i come from a mixed race family so my my mom's side of the family her dad was from the caribbean so we've had access to food that's not maybe typically french so i have a quite an adventurous palate i like hot food i like you know food from different countries and all that kind of stuff but it wouldn't have been kind of in the main culture when i was growing up um
0: can you share some of the favorite dishes from your childhood
2: oh god um actually i made one yesterday just my mom's mustard tart is wonderful and you know the the classic quiche lorraine quiche lorraine and Maybe our winter stews like the bourguignon and raclette and, you know, all that kind of stuff was so always good. Whenever
0: you were on Twitter originally back in the day, that's where you would have been talking about food a lot. And that's where the inspiration from the blog came from. Somebody said, you know, you need to to get your website up and running and capture all these fantastic
2: recipes and dishes on your blog. That's right. I'm a, I'm one of those annoying people that are always taking photos of their food and, you know, making you wait. If you're with me in a restaurant, I'll have to take a photo of my food and a photo of your food. And, you know, if the neighbor's tables will let me, I'll take a photo of theirs as well. And uh, yeah, so somebody somebody mentioned it to me and I did. And it was great. It was a hobby I'd never thought about. Um, and it it grew I learned a lot I made friends I found a community which I didn't know existed and um, it's been great
0: I want to talk a bit about the website then because you do have some fantastic series on it for example the women of Ireland that are working in food where you feature various different food producers and chefs what was the inspiration for writing that series
2: I won't name the festival, but three years ago now, um, there was a, a festival advertised in Ireland over one summer, and the photo was a brochette of male chefs. And I got so frustrated because the year before they'd done the same thing and I'd taken the time to email them privately and, you know, not do the bad thing of calling them out publicly and be a nice little feminist and be quiet and be gentle. And it was the same the following year. And I got really annoyed and I said, okay, well, I'm not going to reach out to them again because clearly they don't care. What I'm going to do is shine a light on women that do great work. And it started from that and it's still going on nearly two years later now.
0: And give us a few examples of some of the women that you've featured there. Uh,
2: So I think the very first one would have been Jess Murphy from Kai. Because, I mean, if you think of female chefs in Ireland, you think of Jess. Um, I've had fairly high-profile ones, like Katie McGuinness, who writes for The Independence. I've had... um, Oh God! I've had more recently Anna Coffey, who created Broad Chocolate. Um, I've had I've had a, a couple of hundreds now. So I've had food photographers like Jennifer Opperman, and I've had food writers like Mei Chin. Um, some of them are very well known to the public, and some of them aren't. But you know, all of them are are quite inspirational in the amount of work they do quietly and actually what they produce you know the the likes of ashlyn flanagan from velvet cloud and um oh so many of them just so many
0: i think one of the fantastic elements of that series is and you've mentioned there a few journalists You've mentioned food producers, you've mentioned chefs. So it's it's really very diverse. And you yourself last year were invited to join the Irish Food Writers Guild, which is a very prestigious organisation in Ireland for people that are writing about food.
2: Yes, and I like I mean it, it was a big personal moment and a huge honour to be asked, especially in my second language. Um, I put an, an awful lot of effort in my writing. Um, I still make mistakes and I learn all the time so it was it was huge to be asked to be honest
0: and you're talking about communities there so you you've met a community online through twitter but also now with all your fellow members of the Irish Food Writers Guild that has expanded that community for you and in fact Marie Claire Digby who writes for the Irish Times, was in touch recently because of your latest piece that you did, which was a very extensive map of Ireland showing all the different restaurants and cafes all over the country that are open at the moment.
2: Um, so the map is restaurants and cafes and hotels as well, actually, or gastropubs that have outdoor seating. That's more... That, that's the angle I went with and yes Marie Claire came to me and asked me to create a shorter version of that map and a list for the Irish Times and that, obviously like I mean if you write about food or if you write at all being asked to write for the Irish Times is a huge deal you know it's um, like I mean if you had to put one box that you want to achieve something out of your writing that's the one and I'm I'm delighted with it. It was a huge personal honour.
0: The amount of work that goes into compiling a list of you've got your two hundred odd um women in the in the Irish food industry and now this map of outdoor dining, the time, the effort, the emails, the correspondence,
2: it must be huge. Um it's huge, but it, it's I mean, it, it's a hobby, and I spend an awful lot of time in it. Some people go out and garden. Some people have kids and have an awful lot more to do than I do. Um. So when you're when you're not a mom, you have enough an awful lot more time. And I'm also very lucky that my employers are quite good in terms of work life balance. Um. So I have the time.
0: You know, and it, it's a joy. And your full-time job is in finance. So it's it's a completely different world to the world of
2: food. Completely different world, which is, it's great. It means that I actually have the head for the food on the side because it's so different, you know. Um, And my my co-workers, when we were working in the office, always enjoyed the odd kind of press release or the press drops that would arrive, you know, the, the odd bomb and cake that would land on the desk because of it like so
0: and and do you find you get a lot of press drops and a lot of nice bits and pieces
2: um i do and i don't well i I mean i i do and i'm spoiled absolutely spoiled but i do i do refuse what i think doesn't suit my following because i think it's not fair to take 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 and you're giving no value to a particular brand so if they approach me first I'll have a look at the product and if I think I might like it and it might be of interest to follow me I'll accept it if I think it's not for me I'll I'll not take that
0: And the Irish Food Writers Guild has very strict criteria whenever it comes to its membership receiving freebies. So whenever you're writing about them, there's certain regulation there.
2: Absolutely. Well, to be honest, anyone who writes about food in Ireland should adhere to them because they've been published by ASAI and their important um, disclosure is simple. You know, if you're if you're promoting something or even if you're sharing information for a product that you've not paid for yourself there's nothing wrong with that you know you are just passing on information but just say it occasionally
0: you might get something that you don't particularly like what do you do then do you still write about it and say look this isn't for me or do you prefer to
2: just write about the things that you do enjoy so I would give feedback privately to the company. If I've think if i been asked for, for feedback, I will give it honestly um, because I don't think you do any favours by telling everyone everything is great all the time. Will I share it with people? No, I won't. I just won't share the product at all um, because I don't necessarily think that because I don't like something that it makes it bad. It just makes it maybe not to my taste. Um, But there's an art to explaining that quite well, and some people do it very, very well, and that's why they're food critics in national newspapers. And others like me, well, I'm just a, you know, I'm a food writer, but I am just a blogger, and I'm doing it for fun. And I would really, really hate to upset anyone who's put their heart and soul into their product, and then here's this person who's received it for free, and destroys it online without understanding everything about it.
0: And hopefully you haven't come across that um, scenario many times in the past. And in the the past year where we've all had to to change our eating out habits to maybe takeaway habits and we're all looking forward now to the country opening up in the next few weeks, what have you missed most in the past 12 months about not being able to get out to maybe your favourite restaurant where, where you live?
1: Oh God,
2: um, the interaction with the people um, that serve you the food, the buzz of a, of a restaurant room full of people eating and laughing and enjoying themselves and like a I'm the type of person that instead of going to all the new places all the time I quite like going to the same places again and again and again so like it, it it's not that they're family at this stage but you know there's a real great warmth to that and you'd really miss that now.
0: And tell me where are your hot spots in Dublin where will you head out to first whenever it's possible to do that?
2: Oh god, um I will be jumping on Ananda, I'll be ju- jumping on Reba in Stillorgen, three leaves in BlackRock. Um I am dying to try Woodruff in um Step Aside um oh god there's so many places and i'm gonna vex people so i'll stop
0: here and you're, and you're going to be so busy doing that katia you won't have any time to write about it then
2: <laughs> oh no there's always time i can eat and write <laughs>
0: <laughs> well moving forward now what is next for properfood.ie where would you like to see the blog going in the next few years
2: um i suppose I'd quite like to keep it going as it is. You know, I I write because I enjoy it and because it's a it's a it's an outlet from my daily work, and I want to keep it at that. I want to keep travelling around Ireland and meeting new small food producers and understanding how that's created and write about that. I want to. I just want to kind of keep doing what i'm doing and chat to more women as more women get involved in the industry and go and stay places and you know write about all of it
0: well hopefully you will have an opportunity to come and visit west limerick sooner rather than later we'd love to see you down in this neck of the woods and introduce you to all the fantastic hoteliers restaurateurs, cafes food producers that we have here in the meantime Congratulations on the publication in the Irish Times. I know you're personally delighted with that. And it's um, a great compliment to the fantastic work that you do on your website. We wish you continued success with it.
2: Thank you so much for
0: having me. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. Next this evening, we're putting the spotlight on a relatively new artisan food producer. Brian O'Neill is the founder of the Dublin Hot Sauce Company, which produces a range of hot sauces under the name of Scarlet for Your Ma. Intrigued? Well, let's talk to Brian to find out more.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
0: Brian, you're very welcome to the programme. Thanks for joining us here on The Best possible taste. You're the chief bottle washer at the, the Dublin Hot Sauce Company. Tell us a bit about your business and how it all began.
1: Thanks for having us, Sharon. Nice to be here. Um, yeah, well, I mean, chief bottle washer is actually not far from the uh, from the main title. It, it actually is that, you know, I mean, I remember the first pallet of bottles that arrived and I thought you'll never, ever go through all of these and now when a pallet of bottles arrives, it's like, that's not going to be enough, you know? So it's, um, there is a lot, uh, you know, being a hot sauce producer, you, hot sauce producing is the least of it. I mean, packaging, dealing with cardboard people, trying to get boxes to put the boxes into so they arrive safe. It's, I wish it was just hot sauce, you know? It's, it's so much more, but it's been great fun. It's been a good journey and we've really enjoyed getting here. So uh, yeah, hopefully it'll continue to grow.
0: Hot sauce has really taken the food world by storm in the past few years. And for somebody that maybe isn't familiar with it, what exactly is it?
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's an industry that's gone by about a billion a year for the last five years, especially in the, in the States and uh, other countries. It's massive. Um, I guess the difference between hot sauce and like the likes of sweet chili sauce, one is primarily a sugar-based um and dried goods kind of substance and hot sauce is usually a fresher base of ingredients usually a hotter chili very little in the way of sugar um more in the way of smoked and um chilies i guess come now with so many different varieties that you can really start off low down on the totem pole like tabasco and go right up to designer hot sauces that use truffle and expensive whiskies and uh I watched the guy the other day make the world's most expensive hot sauce. I think he used a 12-year-old scotch that was worth over 10000 So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a market that's turned on its head and become quite, um, not exclusive, but it's, it's it years ago, I think people didn't really understand hot sauce, and, and most people would have had Tabasco in the cupboard, but maybe not use it every day. So now I think uh, people are using it every day for every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner.
0: Yeah, I think the, the brown sauce, the H.P. sauce is probably <laughs> as spicy and as hot as it got, certainly whenever I was growing <laughs> up. So it's It's great, obviously, to see that people's palates are changing and that as a nation, Ireland as a nation, we, we do really enjoy spicy food so much more now than we maybe did 20 or 30 years ago. You've talked about chilies. Is that the prime ingredient in a hot sauce?
1: Yeah. Well, you have two types of hot sauce, I think. One is the Mexican variety, which if you'll notice on the ingredients, water will be the first thing you see. And that usually means it's been made with dried goods. So in in Mexico, they don't use fresh, they use dried. Um, And then, yeah, chilies would be the... the, I mean, pounding it down and trying to get as many chilies into a bottle as you can is not as easy as it looks. But... um, and it's a very strong flavour, so we use like red wine vinegars to kind of smooth out, take the edge off a little bit. And uh, yeah, that's primarily the difference. Is one uses fresh chilies, and the Mexican version uses dried chilies.
0: And where did your interest in hot sauces come from? Whenever you decided you were going to start a business, why did you choose to go down that road?
1: <sighs> it's, uh, funny story. I was I lived in Los Angeles and uh, California for about twenty years, and I was a TV producer, but I always, I always kind of ended up, you know, helping friends out or working in restaurants to help open them and stuff like that. I was always close to the food scene when I was in L.A. And I moved back to Ireland in 2016. And my wife said, you should go to college. I've never been to college. She said, go to college as a mature student. So I did a year in IADT in radio and TV production. And a friend of mine who was working on Vikings. And she said, I've got you a gig shadowing a director for two complete episodes from the meetings in the office right down to the battle scenes. You're gonna be right behind her the whole time. And I was like, okay, great, this is this will be something. And everyone just talked about hot sauce all the time. You know, guys from America and the Irish guys on the set. I'd hear them at the table having lunch and they were just like, we need to get some hot sauce on this table. And How much hot sauce do you buy every time you go to the shop? I just jumped in the car and I said, right, that's it. We're doing it. We're going to do it. So uh, the name came by accident and uh, the flavor we worked on, because I knew what I wanted to do, but I'd never mass produced. Like making hot sauce in your kitchen does not translate to a commercial kitchen. Um, You can't triple the ingredients and hopefully get three times the amount. It just doesn't work. So we uh, got into the kitchens and we bought some really big pots and lots of chilies and went at it. and Finally came up with the recipe that we liked and that's how we got here.
0: So you sold your first bottle, was it, in November 2019? Yes. The business has grown steadily since then, so the food trucks are um, a good customer. that we. It's something that you would see in a lot of food trucks now.
1: Well, we're trying, I mean, the, the food truck thing is still new here, um, you know, but it's, it's whenever somebody says, hey, we, we want you on the truck for a month featured in a thing, it's it's probably the best compliment that we get, you know. Um, and it's, it's a hip now to have a featured burger or a featured dish that maybe won't be on the menu next month. So it allows people to kind of flit in and out of our different flavors. But, yeah, I think we're in about over 50 different stores, all independent, Um, part of our thing was we, and not to sound cocky, but we wanted to drive business to smaller businesses, you know, we um, when you go into the supermarket, shelf space is a war zone, I mean, it's so difficult to get a product on the shelf, but we said, why even try, let's go to the people that, you know, the corner shop, the mom and pop shops and just um, support them, because honestly, they've been supporting us and it's been great, so When we hear that people actually go to a particular shop to get the sauce, that's kind of a super victory for us.
0: And there's a few different flavors in the range. So tell us about the different flavors and the inspiration behind them.
1: Well, we have the obligatory original flavor, which is the biggest seller. And um, I'm not sure if it's because it's the nicest one or people feel safe buying it. But um, we have a chipotle, a raspberry chipotle, a mango pineapple, and we just did a collaboration with Dublin Art Whiskey and um, the, the, the Liberties Distillery, and we um, we take their whiskey and we literally pour it right into the pot and stick it in the bottle. And it's we we decided to do a, a twist on the old fashioned cocktail, which has a cherry and an orange in it. So we did the same thing, except we put chilies in it and made made an old fashioned cocktail whiskey sauce.
0: And how did that collaboration come about?
1: I literally sent them a text and I and said, "I love your whiskey," and they said, "We love your hot sauce," <laughs> and we had a good laugh about it. And they said, "Look, if you ever want some whiskey, give us a shout." So I said, "Okay, I'll be outside in twenty minutes." And um sure enough, they gave me a couple of bottles of whiskey, and we went to work. And everybody seemed happy with it, so we went with it. They were a great company to work with. They're young. Um, they were shut down for the whole of COVID. You know, they were rebranding their their. One uh, of their whiskeys—it's a bourbon cask whiskey. They were rebranding it, and they were like, "Your timing's perfect." And we said, "Okay, let's let's do this." And it was great; it was good fun. You know, I'd love to do another collaboration with them.
0: And tell me then about your brand and how the Scarlet for your Ma fits <laughs> into it.
1: Well, my question was, do I put that on the credit card, the business card, or not? You know, but um, well, you know, around where I live, it's kind of common to hear that expression. And uh, my wife works in town, and I used to meet her halfway. You know, I'd walk in, she'd walk out, we'd meet halfway. And I, we'd already decided we were going to make it. It was, we'd come up with Dublin hot sauce because a lot of hot sauces, like there's New York style, there's Chicago style. So we said, why not? Let's have a Dublin one. And um, two young guys were cycling down the street, pulling wheelies and telling a story. And all we heard was one of them saying Scarlet for your man. The other guy started laughing, and we started laughing. And I was like, that's the perfect name for a product. And, you know, as you if you drive through the city, every second shop or storefront has a quirky or funny name. Like I saw a guitar shop the other day called Sumneck Guitars, and I just went, yeah, this town likes a funny name. So I think it suits us, it suits our sense of humour.
0: It distinguishes you and sets you apart from the <laughs> other sauces, for sure. Well, it's,
1: a, it's a talking point. You know, it usually makes people go, what the hell and, even in the beginning, some people said you can't call a food product that, which made us go yes, you definitely can now. So, um, so it was, it was good. You know, it's like a little bit of lightheartedness, but the product itself is pretty serious. You know, there's no joke when it comes to what we do and how we do it because um, I love flavors. I've always been into sauces. And I love flavors. So, trying to trying to get chili and vinegar to taste not like chilies and vinegar is it's hard. You know so even our raspberry one it takes a lot of work to just get a hint of raspberry to come through that flavor so yeah the the what's in the bottle is serious what's on the outside isn't so much
0: and you have been recognized by john and sally mckenna which is a huge accolade they love the product
1: <laughs> yes. yes they did yeah yeah we actually they sent us a brochure to say did we want an award like the plaque that goes outside the restaurant under, and i thought they'd made a mistake because we're not a restaurant, but um, yeah, we were delighted to get their get their award, and um, I think their kids loved it too. So they were kind of the proof was in the pudding for them that we. I think they got a few bottles and they disappeared before they were able to taste. Them. So yeah, and I like the way they write. They're beautiful writers too. So yeah, it was it was nice to get that award from them.
0: And have you seen an impact on seals since you got the seal of approval from John and Sally?
1: yeah and also i think if you're looking at a shelf of products and one of them has that little stone sticker on it that says yeah you kind of i i it inspires confidence in me anyway so when i see that that stone like if i was walking into a restaurant i'd be like okay well the lads have been here and they said it's good it's got to be good so yeah it, it has for sure but i think for covid for the last year there's definitely a renewed interest in irish products you know which is great because irish products are good but I think we looked overseas for quality for too long. I think there's plenty of quality here, you know, and it's on the shelf. That's just from around the corner. So it's really nice to see that as a change.
0: And then, in terms of the the TV and film career, is that now a dim and distant memory?
1: Yes. Yes, one hundred percent.
0: You're really emphatic about that, and a lot of people could be listening and thinking, "Oh, but TV and film sounds so much more attractive." and less labor intensive than food production
1: i don't know about that i mean i did reality tv but i lived in los angeles so you work every christmas every halloween every easter um you're always on the road you know and flying at hotels and lobbies and it's a young man's game you know it's it's not it's, and it's not as glamorous as it used to be. The budgets have decreased significantly, so you're on a shoestring the whole time. and It definitely changed even while I was involved with it. But don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah, it was. It was some of the best fun I've ever had. Um, and production is, it's, it's exciting. But I think the food business, the people are amazing. Like I haven't met, everybody I've met since I started in this journey has been nothing but extremely helpful, encouraging There's something about foodies, and maybe it's because they give you food that there's something more to it. I don't know, but foodies, ninety-nine percent of them are fantastic people. So it's been, it's I've actually had more fun, I think, meeting foodies than I did meeting celebrities or you know famous people along the way.
0: Well, the food community is such um, a great community to be part of, and they're all wondering now what reality TV programmes you've worked on. I know I am. Are you allowed to tell us?
1: Oh, yeah, sure. Well, we did a lot of, um, we did a show with the drummer from Blink-182 called Meet the Barkers, and we did a show called Mac Miller, sadly he passed away, but, um, we did a lot of trailers. We did a lot of we did a show called Cheyenne, which was the story of a young girl who was going to become famous. Um, I'm not sure if she became famous, but, you know that's so. We and we actually got to come to Ireland a few times with with the um, MTV crew, which was kind of unheard of because you know a lot of people their dream is to work in LA, but to get paid to go to Ireland and see your mom and dad while you're getting the check, um, it never happens. But we got to do it twice on two different shows so that was really nice to do you know
0: and you don't miss the the life in LA then
1: life in LA is nice but I mean the sun shines every day but you're stuck in traffic for most of it um it's a it's a massive massive city like San Francisco is fun LA is hard work you know but I mean we enjoyed it um we definitely like everything you do no matter how you gauge it has an influence and LA was definitely a big influence for us but there is that thing though where you watch your life pass you by and you're sitting in traffic, you know, and you are in Hollywood, but you're not moving. You know, you're kind of it's it's stagnant. It's very stagnant there. So it was nice, and everybody I'd met was either still struggling or had super made it. But even the super made it people, they weren't necessarily that happy. You know, um, it's a tough town, and you're always. Your game faces on all the time, so and you can never just stroll down the street and bump into somebody and maybe go for a pint. That doesn't happen in LA, so the life quality of life here is much more enjoyable. I think.
0: Well, LA's loss is definitely Ireland's gain, and thanks to that move, we are blessed now to have your fantastic Dublin hot sauce. If people want to get their hands on it, where's the best place for them to go to?
1: Well, you can definitely find us on our website, DublinHotSauce.com or Scarlet for Your Man will, should lead you there. Um, Instagram is a great place if you want to send us a message or see what we're up to. We're definitely always shouting something on there. And, um, yeah, I mean, the, the website, the online shop, we have a platform up there now. and We're trying to get it all over the country to everybody. So, yeah, there's, there's many different avenues. But, yeah, Dublin Hot Sauce or Scarlet for Your Man should lead you to our door. We're in a lot of places like the the Butlers Pantry and uh, Lots and Co and Cupcake Bloke and Oriental Emporium. So, and we're actually in trying to get into every different county in the country at the moment and work out a, a trade. So, trying to get glass bottles to Letterkenny sometimes can be difficult, you know. So, um, and the courier thing here has gotten really well. Like the, the speed at which you can get something down to mayo is fantastic so yeah we're we're trying to get into every county in the country
0: well listen best of luck with that and continued success it's been fantastic to talk to you tonight brian and to hear all about the story so thank you for your time
1: thanks for having us Sharon.
0: you're listening to the best possible taste on west limerick 102 fm Welcome back to the best possible taste. Our final guest this evening is freelance editor and food writer, Kristen Jensen, who I spoke to this morning and who shared details about her Kickstarter campaign, Blasta Books, which will change the way that cookbooks are published.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
0: Kristen, congratulations. You'll have to explain to everybody why I'm congratulating you. It's a Kickstarter campaign, and you are going to change the way that cookbooks are published.
3: That's right. So the Kickstarter launched um, on Friday the 14th. And as of this morning, we're nearly at our target goal of €25,000 for our first two books. But we've got more books waiting in the wings to get out there, ideally in year one. So don't stop there. We'll keep it going. And the more we can raise, the more books we can get out into the world. And also, the more backers we get, I think the stronger the message that gets sent, that there is an appetite for things that are new and different and new voices and different voices.
1: Well,
0: before we talk in more detail about the books that you are going to publish, let's just explain to people what Kickstarter is. This is a really fantastic novel, fairly new way of raising money, raising finance to fund various different projects. And in your case, it's going to fund the publishing of four cookbooks because getting a cookbook deal is, it's quite challenging to do that. And there's a lot more to it than people actually realise. So, I can back you and I have gone on to the Kickstarter campaign and I have backed this project, but I'm not just giving you money for nothing. I actually get something in return. So just explain to everybody how it all works.
3: That's right. So Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform. And as you just pointed out, this is not somebody just kind of being an investor out of goodwill. You get a product in return. And in this case, it's a book. So again, in this case, what you're effectively doing is just pre-ordering the book like you would for Amazon, for example, for, you know, Nigella Lawson's new book or any kind of cookbook that, or any book that is coming out later in the year. So in this case, they will be published next year, starting in the spring. So depending on what you want to sign up for exactly, you can order one book, you can order both books and get a discount. You can order two copies of each book, you can get one set for you, one set for a friend. We've also got some uh, online cooking classes available that are exciting because they're going to be exclusive classes just for these Kickstarter backers that will include recipes from the book but also a couple extra bonus recipes so you can kind of cook along with the authors which is really exciting and not an insight that many people get with an author these days. I've also offered as a reward for anybody out there who's got a food business or is doing recipes as part of their promotion. I've got some editing deals as well because that's my background. I'm a freelance editor and writer. So I've I've put some editing packages up there at a discounted rate as well. So it's absolutely you're getting something at whatever level you decide to pledge at.
0: So you said there that is what you do day to day is you are an editor, a cookbook editor, a freelance one. So you have seen over the years what types of cookbooks people are buying and what they're interested in, because I think there's a lot of people on TV. A lot of people have profile chefs in restaurants and hotels who would love to have their own cookbook for whatever reason but it is a fairly challenging process and that's one of the reasons why you have come up with this concept.
3: Yeah absolutely now cookbooks are incredibly expensive to produce which means it's really really hard to get a deal probably more so than many other books because they are just so prohibitively expensive so a publisher's got to be pretty sure of not only recouping all those costs, but obviously they want to make a profit, which means publishers would tend to be quite risk averse. you know, And that's completely understandable. You know, Nobody wants to, to take a gamble with that much you know, money. And in terms of also what other books you would be able to publish throughout your publishing year. So as a cookbook buyer, myself, and somebody who loves to cook and spend time in the kitchen, I just thought, oh, this is, you know, this is just really frustrating because it just means there's not enough voices that are able to get heard. So I was had some free time last summer, like, like many of us, you know, with a decreased workload and nowhere to go and just started really thinking on this and thinking there's got to be another way. You know, who says a cookbook has to be the big, glossy, 250-page, 100-recipes, you know, production? Like, why not make them small? And bring the cost right down, not only to produce, but also to buy, because the other side of this is, again, as somebody who has a runaway cookbook collection myself, cookbooks are very expensive. They're 35, 40 euros, easy. So you, you really want to know what you're getting in for and be committed to that book to buy it. So hopefully... By bringing the size down, we've also brought the price down for the end user as well. So hopefully that'll lead to people wanting to have a little more fun and experimentation because the price point will be 15 euros as opposed to, you know, double or triple that.
0: So Books is a series of books and it's under a publishing house. Your new imprint, I think, is, is the official word for it. So tell us about your imprint.
3: Exactly as you said, Books is the first project from the new publishing company and the publishing company is called nine bean rose books which everyone will remember from their leaving cert the lake isle of industry from yates and my goal is to get the blaster Books series up and running and that will just run and run you know as long as there are people who continue to to want them but then waiting in the wings i've got the big publishing company to do the big books so Blasta books was just my way of getting throwing my hat into the ring, basically. And also as a springboard for a bigger book. So for example, using our first author, Lily, let's say her book is a runaway hit. Like, well, then obviously it has shown there's a market and an appetite for Mexican food. So uh, the obvious next step is the big book that we do do the... 250 page, 100 recipes, you know, the photography, the, the usual thing. So I've set up Nine Bean Rose book with that goal in mind a little further down the tracks.
0: Yeah, because as you say there, there is kind of a formula to the the standard cookbook. There's so many recipes. All of those recipes have to be tested. They have to be photographed because obviously the end result has to be something eye-catching and appealing to the, the buyer and if you have a big name attached to it for example Nevin Maguire, Clodagh McKenna well that's obviously a big, um, a big plus in terms of the publisher and getting those sales that, that you're talking about so to have something a bit more niche and a bit smaller you, it, it's not as, as expensive to produce. And you you have four books now in the pipeline that I want you to tell us about. And why did you choose them? And the first one is the fabulous Lily Ramirez Forum that a lot of people will know because of her Mexican heritage and how she has really brought Mexican food to the fore in Ireland.
3: Do you know, there's it wouldn't be a stretch to say that part of the reason for starting this entire series was because I wanted to publish Lily. That So there was no question in my mind, like she is book number one, first and foremost. She is just incredible. She is such a passionate advocate of Mexican food. Her supper clubs and her cooking classes have waiting lists. Uh, she's just, and just such a wonderful, warm person herself, which really comes across, you know, I know she does a lot of TV work and it really comes across in her food. And so I called Lily up. I didn't actually have any particular idea in mind i just wanted to publish her in this new format and through talking to her within 5 minutes we hit on tacos which i really like because everybody knows tacos they're fun they're a known you know thing you're not really taking some big risk into the unknown and let me tell you lily's tacos are unlike any tacos you've had before you are going to be blown away and one of the things i want to do with these little cookbooks when people make the food in any of these books i want them to go Wow, that's so delicious! I can't believe I just made that myself because of the caliber of the people writing them as well. So that's Lily, so excited. And I have to say, one of the great things about being a cookbook editor is you get early access to the recipes. <laughs> and I've already uh, test—well, not I wasn't testing it; I just made it. Lily's pork pibble recipe—worth buying the book for this alone. I can't wait until we can have people over again, and I'm going to be making this for everybody. It's just amazing. So that's book number one. Book number two, completely different. It's called Hot Fat by Russell Alford and Patrick Hamlin, a.k.a. The Gastrogays, which people might uh, know them as. And this is all deep fried food. So, so fun, so craveable, so just more. And they are really testing their recipes meticulously. So you can be sure that everything in it, it's going to be the ultimate best version. So they've got the perfect chips, the ultimate spice bag. They've got a knockoff on a certain restaurant's, you know, apple hand pie. That's even better. Um, So that's just going to be a lot of fun because I think that's another important thing too, that we seem to have lost sight of over the years with a lot of mainstream cookbooks is fun, functional over fun. You know, like they're, they all are kind of aimed at a diet or weight loss or, you know, maybe quick, quick and easy cooking, which is great. I love a quick midweek meal. <laughs> um, but in terms of like that, just playing in the kitchen, there's not really that sense out there. So those are the first two books. And then Waiting in the Wings, Well, after we reach our first initial target, the third book is so exciting. It's by Jess Murphy from Kai Restaurant in Galway and Owen Klusky, who owns Bread 41 in Dublin. And it's called The United Nations of Cookies. Now, anybody who knows Jess knows that she is very active with the UNHCR and working with refugees. So again, really similar to Lily's book, I just wanted to work with Jess. So called her up, had no preconceived ideas, and she told me about this project that was already underway with Owen. I was like, that's it? It's cookies? Everybody loves cookies? <laughs> but we can get this really important message out there at the same time, because every recipe is going to be from a different Country, a different community. Jess is going to be going around this summer, talking to refugees who have settled here in Ireland, getting recipes from them. So it's just a really, and we're going to profile some of those people, like in separate little uh, sections. So cookies, how can you go wrong? And yet, it, it also has a bigger message in there too. And then book number four is Walk by Quanji Chan, and a lot of people probably know Quanji because he's been. The chef on the six o'clock show for I think five years now just you won't meet a nicer guy I mean he's just such a great guy to work with and if anybody has had his meal kit which delivers nationwide I'm in Louth so it's one of the very few I've been able to get actually Um, you're just gonna fall in love with his flavors and we're really looking forward to putting his book out there too.
0: And Four fabulous books to to start off with and one of the things that I always like with a cookbook is to look at the image to know what should the dish look like and then I know am I doing it right, does it look the way it's supposed to look, forget about how it tastes but does it look the way it's meant to look and you have opted for illustrations for your books as opposed to photographs, tell me why you've gone that direction.
3: Well, there's two reasons for that. So, number one, again, was just trying to reimagine what the cookbook is and how can we make it more affordable and therefore open it up for more people. So, one of the reasons I've gone for illustrations was from a cost perspective it's saving on the photographer, a food stylist, and the home economist who is working behind the scenes cooking all the food and all the costs of the groceries. You know, that's a very big chunk of the budget. So, by having one illustrator, I'm saving, you know, some money there. And then the second reason is just as a point of differentiation, because all the cookbooks these days are so beautiful. And that it's, it's funny. They're almost too beautiful. (laughs) They're almost too similar looking. And, you know, you say that you like to see what the dish is meant to look like. And yet I've also, I've also heard a lot of feedback over the years that some people can be quite Intimidated by that photo, going, Oh, mine's never going to look like that. You know, sometimes they can be, like I said, too beautiful or too perfect. So, what we've been doing is, as our authors have been recipe testing, they take photographs just with their iPhone, not like they're not styled, they're not, you know, anything fancy plating. They're just taking photographs of their dish, and we've set up WhatsApp groups for each author, and they're uploading their photos, and then our artist, Nikki Hooper, sees them so she can see the ingredients she can see the assembly she can see the finished thing and then she takes that as her springboard so while it is an illustration it is actually indicative of what the food is going to look like but just in a different quirkier way
0: I think that's a fabulous idea, really innovative and really efficient the way you're talking there about just using WhatsApp, like the technology that we've used over the past 12 months has become more familiar to us and the simplicity of the text message and WhatsApp has never been more to the fore. So that's fantastic. And you mentioned Nikki there and there's a third person that you're working with that's part of your team. Tell us about Jane Matthews.
3: Okay, so Jane is our designer behind uh, the project. So I worked with Jane for a good few years. We worked together on the Super Value Fresh magazine, which is how I came to know her. She actually lives pretty uh, close to me as well, which has been Andy, when we are allowed to see each other. Um, So she is responsible for the design and the layout of the books. And she is also looking after the print end of things, which is amazing because as an editor, that was not something I ever had to deal with. Those decisions were made like way outside of my area. So it's amazing to have Jane on board. She's so talented. She's an award-winning designer. She does a lot of work in magazines. She does book design. I mean, she can do anything. So... The combination of her and Nikki is just dynamite. Like, I'm so lucky to have them both on board. And it's funny that you mentioned the technology, because Nikki just mentioned to me the other day, like, oh, all of this has been done without the three of us ever sitting down together around a table. And I hadn't thought of it that way, because I've been working in publishing freelance for 20 years, and I've always worked remotely, a lot of publishing is actually, run that way. So I never thought twice about it. But it's like, oh no, that is actually. We pulled this whole series together without a single face-to-face meeting, which is a shame. I can't wait to take these women out to lunch, you know, when we can. Um, but it's it's incredible what you can do when you put your mind to it.
0: And when you do go out for lunch, I'd say you'd be cracking open the champagne to celebrate because the first tranche of funding that you're looking for is twenty-five thousand, and you're nearly there.
3: Yeah, amazing. I mean, I'd say we're going to be there by the end of today, um, which is incredible. But I just wanted to say as well, like we don't, it doesn't stop there. That's just for the first two books officially. So, And as I said, I've got books three and four, United Nations of Cookies and the Walk book, lined up, ready to go. Now, if I hadn't raised any more money than that, then those would be the year two books. But I'm really confident we can keep this going And get all four books funded for the first year. Because that's my ultimate aim. Is that this will be a quarterly series. And that every year four books will come out. Spring, summer, autumn, winter. Not necessarily anything seasonal related. And that if you like. You'll be able to subscribe. Almost like a magazine. And just get the books delivered straight to your door. But they'll also be available in bookshops. Just like any book.
0: And I'd say then there could be people listening. That say I want to do a book. So you have, that's something that you've thought about being inundated with people saying, <laughs> I want to do a book. So you have a submission process if somebody does want to make contact with you, if they have an idea and they want to, to join part of the, the publishing house that you're creating.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I've gotten lots of messages so far, which I think is just so exciting, like so many stories out there wanting to be told. And it's really humbling and it's a huge privilege to be in a position to be able to put those stories out in the world. So for anybody who has an idea that they think would be a good fit for the Blasta series, we have a separate to the Kickstarter. We have BlastaBooks.com and we have a submissions guideline page on that website that explains what we're looking for and how exactly you can submit your idea.
0: And are you looking for anything in particular? What advice could you give to somebody that is considering putting a submission in? Um, it's basically what it
3: says on the website, which is a single strong idea. And I think you'll probably have gotten a sense of that just from the, the books I talked you through before. So a single strong idea or a topic or if you've got you know a restaurant or a cafe or a food truck a great story killer repertoire of recipes. So but really it's it's just the main thing is that single core hook is is what I'm looking for. Because the books are so small, I don't even envision there being chapters because frankly there's also just not enough pages. <laughs> um, so really focused and tight in terms of a proposal. Like these books are only 72 pages. So we're talking maybe 30 recipes so again, it doesn't lend itself to like a big sweeping starters, lunch, dinner, soups, you know, the whole thing. It's it's one idea, one strong idea.
0: Amazing. Well, listen, I'm delighted for you. I was I was so overwhelmed with joy whenever the press release came in last week. And I said, I definitely have to, to start. Um, making contact with Kristen to get her on the show sooner rather than later because I know that you have been on a number of um, stations and you've been featured in a number of the media outlets as well because, like, next week, this is going to be old news next week because you're going to have your 25,000, as you said. You've only a few more bob to get. So if people want to support the project, the first two books and then the second tranche of them, the third and fourth, where should they go to get more information and to put their money where their mouths are?
3: <laughs> In this case, almost quite literally. <laughs> so, uh, so it's the Kickstarter website, which is kickstarter.com. And once you're there, uh, you can look up Blast Books. But really excitingly, we actually were chosen as a Kickstarter project we love which is about as good as it gets on Kickstarter. So our project is actually also featured on the homepage at the moment, which is, so you can find it there too, which is amazing. We're really excited.
0: Fabulous. Well, listen, it's well-deserved, Kristen. Congratulations and keep us posted with the, the developments and about the books as they're published. We look forward to having you back onto the show then along with your authors.
3: Oh, and I can't wait to get these books into your hands and into your kitchens and have everybody cooking them and just falling in love with
1: all this food. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
0: And that's all we have time for tonight. Thanks for listening and to my guests, Katia Valadeau, Brian O'Neill and Kristen Jensen. Until next week, bon (laughs) appétit.